following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. As a kid, my father would take me to the Jacob Javits Center in New York for the annual auto show. And I was incredibly in, into uh, cars as a kid. And again, I, I think that's a, that you can still be into cars, but you, you have to see what car ownership has done to our cities and how it's taken over the land and how it's taken over people's expenses. And yet Americans only use their car 4% of the time. They can leave it parked 96% of the time. Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do in-depth interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. And taking a moment to thank our sponsors, Veridesk, Rocket Mortgage, and ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. Today, we have a special guest, John Zimmer, the co-founder and president of Lyft. So, John, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, what is going on with Lyft? I mean, it's this... The media, and myself included, are obsessed with, with ride-sharing, self-driving cars, all this different stuff. What, what is going on? What are, you, what are you guys focusing on right now? Yeah, well, I think if you, if you zoom out, the reason why there's so much attention on our space is because I don't think there's going to be a, big, a bigger fundamental shift in how we use land and in how we get around and in how we live in our cities than what's happening uh, with, with Lyft and others in the industry right now. Right now in the United States... Americans spend more money on cars than they do on food. Our cities are designed around cars and parking and roads, and we have a real, you know, once-in-a-hundred-year opportunity to change that and make cities designed around people instead of car ownership. No, I mean, it's huge. I mean, I live in New York City, so it's we always took just raising a hand and having a taxi show up for granted. But it's amazing now with, with Lyft and all these ride-sharing apps, people in the suburbs— you know, how, how they get around. I know people in L.A. and San Francisco that sold their cars and just take, you know, ride-sharing everywhere. I mean, it's really transforming people's lives, their pocketbooks, um, cutting down on drinking and driving, for sure. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing, like, how one little thing is just changing this whole chain of, 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 of society. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, we're growing quickly. More and more people are adopting a, a car-free lifestyle or, or kind of getting rid of their second car. We, we do now over 10 million rides every week. Wow. And uh, at the same time, we're just getting started. Lyft and Uber combined only have about half a percent of miles traveled in the United States. And we believe over the next 10 to 20 years, the majority of mi- miles traveled in urban environments will be on uh, a network like Lyft. Speaking about just getting started, I want to hear about um, you know your origins. I know you this started as a... Uh, as, a, as a, a college carpooling service, and I know you're a Cornell guy. I went to Colgate, and we did the same thing back in, like, the early 2000s. Like, there'd be bulletin boards, hey, who's driving to northern Jersey or Connecticut, blah, 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 like, hop in the, uh, the Jeep uh, Cherokee and go down. Um, you know, you started that way, and now, like you said, it, the, the vision is, you know, changing cities. Like, take me a little bit about how this all began. Yeah, exactly. So my co-founder, Logan Green, he studied at UC Santa Barbara, and he wanted to make an experiment out of himself, which was not bringing a car to campus and seeing how it was uh, to live car-free. And so he uh, would would use public transportation, would take the bus, would uh, use bulletin boards for carpooling. And uh, he was elected as the youngest member ever to the local transit board in Santa Barbara County. And he he loved the, the promise of public transportation, which is affordable, accessible transportation for everyone. But what he found out is that the reality is pretty tough, and that transportation across the U.S. Uh, for the majority of the population is broken. It's broken in how expensive it is, 
costs $9,000 per vehicle per year. Uh, public transportation is great in places like Manhattan, but in, in most cities, uh, it's not accessible uh, to everyone. And so he then traveled to Zimbabwe with a few friends, and he saw people sharing rides out of necessity. And these micro-entrepreneurs popping up using private vans to pick people up along their way. And he got really inspired. He started building a website called Zimride. Now, this is before we knew each other. My last name is Zimmer, which is just a, a weird coincidence. I know. I thought it was, I thought it was named is, after you. I thought you, you, you got a little big yeah. ego. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. He, he, he called it Zimride before I knew him. And then uh, my background's in hospitality. So uh, one of my first jobs when I was a kid, when I was 16, was working as a phone operator in a local Hyatt hotel where I grew up. Then I went to Cornell Hotel School to study hospitality, and I thought you know, I didn't want to apply hospitality to, to just a hotel or a restaurant. I wanted to think about our cities as the most important hospitality experience, and I wanted to push our cities to be focused more on healthy quality of life versus you know the majority of our cities have now been paved over with car ownership infrastructure like roads and uh, parking spots, and so... I was super inspired by a course I took my senior year in the School of Architecture and Planning mm-hmm. called Green Cities. Green cities. I had this amazing professor, and he, he talked about uh, the future of our cities by looking backwards. And he said, uh, we're at this really important turning point in world history where population density is rising rapidly. Everyone's moving to cities. And the infrastructures that we've built in our cities were built before there were this many people. And if we don't fix our infrastructure, we're going to have major economic, environmental, and social problems. And he challenged us to fix it. And he challenged us to take action. And a lot of our work uh, stems, for me, from, from that inspiration in that Green Cities course. And how did you meet um, your co-founder, Green? Since you guys are, you didn't know each other, you are literally across the country from each other. Yeah, so uh, after graduating uh, Cornell in 2006, I was on Facebook one night, and I saw that he had posted to a mutual friend's Facebook page, check out this website, I'm building Zimride.com. I had been working on a business plan for a carpool community uh-huh. and uh, reached out to a mutual friend, and he connected us. Logan came out to New York, and uh, you know that was over 10 years ago that we've been working together. And how did you guys evolve from you know, Zimride, which focused on you know, college communities, to, to Lyft? I mean, obviously the name change and everything, but when did that model shift? And I imagine... Um, the, the the advent of uh, the first iPhone or the App Store really uh, kind of opened your eyes. Yeah, Zimride, our first business together, uh, came out before the iPhone and before smartphones took off. And so uh, at the time, we really got to work in earnest on Zimride in 2007 uh, when we both moved to, to Palo Alto area in California. And then we worked on that for five years, and it was long-distance carpooling. Uh-huh. And in about middle of 2012, we looked at ourselves and said, how's this going? We built a uh, profitable business selling universities, a white label kind of version of Zimride, private to their university. And we said, you know, what would we do if we were starting over? And because of new technology and because of our desire to, to follow our full mission, which is improve people's lives with the world's best transportation, we felt like our original solution with Zimride didn't take things far enough. And so that's when we come. I, uh, that's when we came up with the idea for Lyft, which was you turn someone's personal vehicle that's costing them so much money uh-huh. into a, a, a work opportunity while lowering the cost for everyone else to get around. And in the middle of 2012, we launched it as an experiment out of Zimride. 
the experiment took off. It was growing faster than our Zimmerit opportunity, and we shifted the entire focus over to Lyft and uh, sold some of the Zimmerite assets, and, and then that was about five and a half years ago. When did you realize that these iPhones could become suddenly personal, um, like GPS beacons, and you could use all the all the um, location based and push button stuff? Like, did was that like a holy like a holy shoot moment, or did someone like alert you to this? Like, how did that evolve? Because it's it just it's such a game changer in everything, but especially in in transportation. Yeah, I think I think we realized it pretty quickly, and, and one of the challenges we had with Zimride was the the frequency. So, you know, how often would you go home and take a two hour trip or a four hour trip from college? And that, that maybe happened a couple times a year. But we wanted our new service Lyft to be around something you could use multiple times a day, so that you could replace the need to own a car, and uh, that would require kind of real time coordination. And so, kind of the real time nature of a smartphone with GPS. Uh, became super apparent very quickly. And you know, you're a you know you're a hospitality graduate. You know, not a hardcore programmer. I can. I, how did you build the system? I mean, I, or how did the company build the system? Yeah, absolutely. We we have an incredible uh, tech team, engineering team. Logan is actually uh, the person who built the original Zimride service uh, himself. He you know it was a personal passion to learn how to code. Uh, he studied business in school. Um, and then we've, like I said, we built a phenomenal team that's incredibly passionate about solving this problem. You know, this is both a hospitality opportunity as well as a tech technology opportunity. And if if you only do one of those, uh, you aren't able to deliver the best service. But I think because of uh, Logan's background and passion uh, mixed with my own and the incredible team that we have, uh, we're we're able to deliver the best customer experience. What is the um the most you know surprising thing? result or just a surprising thing you've learned um, in starting Lyft? I'd say, you know, how I think one of the things that we didn't fully appreciate at the beginning and we wanted to be true was how critical company culture is, how critical company ethics and values are, and then how open-minded I think customers are to changing their behavior Mm -hmm. as long as they're provided with a, a great alternative. I mean, people told us that you know, you're you're competing with this idea that the car in America represents freedom, and we said, yeah, we we agree with that idea. We don't think car ownership, you know, having a nine thousand dollar annual expense, represents that freedom we were promised with the car. Mm-hmm. We think we can unlock that that true opportunity to tap a button and get where you need to go uh, really quickly, easily at a at a, a lower cost. And so, I'd say it's both people's willingness to change as well as the importance in persistently upholding your your values. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Traditional static offices are a thing of the past. Today, companies and employees want an active workspace. Veridesk helps people reimagine their office design. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health by boosting energy and productivity. Veridesk Active Workspace Solutions make it easy to encourage more movement in a day. The new ProDesk 60 Electric Standing Desk is the cornerstone of the active office. It's designed with commercial-grade materials, stable at any height, and fully assembled in under five minutes. Plus, all Veridesk products are made to last. They're also simple to set up and move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. Check out Veridesk products, including the new ProDesk 60 Electric risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns. Learn more at veridesk.com slash Forbes. That's V-A-R-I-Desk.com slash 
Forbes. And there's Rocket Mortgage. Support for the Forbes interview podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask, why? Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, Mortgage, you get a transparent online process. It gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Are there any interesting side effects in human behavior that Lyft has had or in general? Like are the funny quirks or funny trends you're seeing based on lack of car ownership or the fact that you, know, you can just hit a button and go anywhere you want? Well, last year... We, we did a study, and we saw that about 250,000 Lyft users got rid, of their, uh, got rid of a vehicle. Now, that may have been their only vehicle, or there may that, that may have been their, their second car. And so that's in a, a really exciting trend that I think has only just begun. Wow. It's, it's wild, because you had this, um, you know, this idea of smart cities, green cities. And in some ways, I feel like you, you guys, in a good way or bad way, opened like a Pandora's box. Because um, not only are you dealing with you know logistics and movement and running a company, but all the headaches of regulation and taxi commissions, and then suddenly you have this kind of um, you know big you know big fight with Uber and big time investors and like the VCs involved and Carl Icahn and GM. Like, I, I it must. Did, did you have any idea you're about to like you know kind of open this box? No, I think I think the extent and the scope of of what you just outlined in terms of how. Uh, how crazy the last five years have been. I don't think uh, myself or, or Logan or anyone could have predicted, but that's also what's, I think, made us better, um, better people, better entrepreneurs, um, and something that we feel, we feel really lucky to have experienced. And, and at the same time, we feel an incredible amount of responsibility to now take that opportunity and, and create better cities and create a great company for everyone that it impacts. How do you kind of get, um, you know, kind of get smart in these topics? Like suddenly, you know, you have no experience dealing with, um, you know, city regulations or unions. You have no experience dealing with big, you know, investor bidding wars and crazy marketing campaigns. Like, how do you get smart in all these different things as a company? Yeah, I think you 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 have to find incredibly talented uh, people that you trust that you can learn from. And, and that you can grow with together. You know, for the first year and a half of Lyft, I spent most of my time on the government relations uh, part of the business. And so I was talking to city leaders and regulators, actually sat down with uh, multiple general managers of taxi companies in San Francisco. I wanted to understand where everyone was coming from. I wanted to ensure that the impact that Lyft would have on, on everything uh, would be clearly a net positive. And so... Uh, a lot of listening and and learning from others while surrounding yourself with uh, great talent. And you guys always had a fun kind of marketing idea of, you know, we had the, the I remember early days with the, the fuzzy pink mustaches and um, kind of that, that feel. And then you have Uber coming coming in that was, you know, crazy growth, crazy aggressive. Like, how did you kind of 
deal with that um, competition, and how did you kind of keep your culture and and your plan intact? Yeah, our idea is that you know we need to have a really positive impact on society, and we should have you know fun doing that in a in a way that gets people to smile, right? And so the, the original idea with the mustache, it was meant to be incredibly temporary as a launch of word of mouth marketing concept, but also to you know, we we're creating this new behavior. People were getting into other people's cars and, you know, we did the criminal background checks. We did the driving record checks. You know, we had the ratings. Um, we had the identity so that these weren't anonymous interactions. Uh-huh. We took safety incredibly seriously, but we also wanted to make the car into a lift ride versus just, you know, the make and model of that vehicle. And so by personifying the car with a uh, pink mustache, it, it made people smile. We, you know, I would go through the city with, you know, early drivers and, and kids would be pointing and smiling. You'd see people walking and, and pointing to their friend, explaining what Lyft was. So it worked really well from a early launch marketing perspective. And as we, as we grew up, you know, now to the point of doing 10 million rides a week, being the fastest growing ride sharing service in the U.S., we've polished that, that image. We brought in the creative director from Virgin America, uh, and we still have fun, mm-hmm. and we're still trying to get people to smile, uh, but I think we're doing it in a more permanent way. And in terms of image, I mean, obviously there was a time when everyone was, you know, pounding their chest and saying Uber is unstoppable, it's massive, and, you know, then they had obviously their hiccups with with Travis, with the sexual harassment, with just the culture. How did you guys um, play that in that opportunity? I don't think we like, played it, you know, in a certain way. I think we just focused on being us and focused on being Lyft. I think it's you know, there are moments where, you know, it can be distracting yeah. uh, to to see what's happening somewhere else. But what we realized is that our team members, uh, the drivers who drive for Lyft, the passengers who take Lyft, they care about the great service they get from us. They, they don't care about the noise that's happening somewhere else. And so the things that we can control, the things that we can help do for our drivers and passengers is what we will continue to focus on, what we focused on for the past few years, you know, regardless of what was happening with the competition. And speaking of noise, I mean, how, how, have, you, how have you dealt with the, the stress, the competition of, of being obviously going from a, being an entrepreneur to suddenly being kind of a, a, known, a known person? How, how have you balanced that? I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't even think of myself as a known person. Um, so I'm just trying to, to be the same person, you know, to, to continue to surround myself with my, my family and friends mm-hmm. and, and the people I work with and to always be learning and, and never think that, you know, I know the perfect answer to everything. I think that's important. I, I you know, we surround ourselves with people that uh, tell us when we're wrong and, and tell us how we can be better. And, and I think that's really important. And speaking of people, can you update me? How many employees do you have now? So there's about 3,000 people now at the 3,000 people. And then how many drivers about? Uh, so there, last year, there was uh, approximately 1.4 million drivers that gave a ride on the platform. Wow. So how, how do you... You know, going from a, a lean college startup to suddenly have um, you know a team of three thousand people plus over a million contractors, clients, whatever you want to call it. Like, how have you learned how to to organize that, manage that? It's really about building an incredible team, and I, I continue to learn that. You know, even in the the past few months, uh, we brought on a chief people officer, Emily Nishi, uh, and she brought on uh, a VP of uh, inclusion and talent. Uh, Nilka, and we brought on a COO who was the former president at Tesla. By getting incredible talent uh, who has 
experience in the you know most important areas. It creates incredible opportunities for you to continue to focus on vision and strategy, and uh, and deliver the best results for your for your drivers and passengers. So it's really about building a phenomenal team, and that that kind of stems from having the right culture. And you mentioned too that uh, you know you focused early on a lot of government relations. How do you and Logan, your co-founder, uh, break down the company, break down responsibilities? Are there certain things he's good at and you're better at, or you know how do you break that all down? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first off, we have uh, a phenomenal and trusting relationship and have become best friends. We didn't know each other before we started working together, um, which is not always the case. But you know, we like any relationship, we've worked really hard to build that trust. Uh, when we when we have disagreements, we talk through them, and the next day, uh, things are things are great. And so, um, but the way that we've more historically divided things up is that, um, you know, he if you if you believe like we do that the solution is going to be both a hospitality and technology solution uh, to deliver the world's best transportation, he's uh, best and most passionate about. Uh, the technology, and I'm most passionate about the hospitality, and so that comes out in different ways. Uh, often, I'm doing more of the, you know, communications, the government relations, uh-huh. uh, you know, potentially the, the marketing side, and he's more focused on uh, the technology, the product, um, and things like that. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Hiring. Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sites trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, listeners to the Forbes interview podcast can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes and one more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You know, there was more than 200,000 cars taken off the road last year because of services like this. But ironically, one of your big investors is GM, which seems like it would be counter uh, counterproductive, so to speak. Like, How did you get that relationship and explain how that investment started? Yeah, so um, General Motors invested... Uh, pretty soon, actually, after I spoke at the LA Auto Show, and at the LA Auto Show, I gave a talk, which was the end of car ownership. Okay. <laughs> and um, must have been very popular. It, <laughs> it was interesting. I, I talked about how, uh, as a kid, my father would take me to the Jacob Javits Center in New York for the annual auto show, and I was uh, incredibly in, into uh, cars as a kid. And again, I, I think that's a, that you can still be into cars. But you, you have to see what car ownership has done to our cities and how it's taken over the land and how it's taken over people's expenses. And yet Americans only use their car 4% of the time. They leave it parked 96% of the time. And so there will be, my point was, there will be a change. People will shift to a more economic solution. They will shift to a more convenient solution. And that is an opportunity for the car companies that see that 
and that partner, you know, find the right partners in that transition. It's a massive opportunity. Um, but it, but you know, my strong belief and what I said at that point is that it will happen. And I think, you know, GM was one of the first to, to really agree. And they said, look, this is an opportunity for us. Um, we want to learn about this shift. We want to be part of this shift. And, uh, and that's where that investment came about. Do you think a car company like General Motors and others would start making cars um, to kind of cater to car sharing, kind of like how you know New York has the custom, you know, has cars made to be taxis and, and that kind of thing? Is there any talk of cars meant for a, uh, a car sharing business? Yeah, I think that'll continue to evolve. Where uh, you know various companies we've now partnered uh, not only with, with General Motors but also with Ford. Uh, and other companies, and uh, Magna was a recent partner, mm-hmm. uh, a partnership that, that we announced, uh, which is a tier one auto supplier. Um, so yeah, there are. I think there's a future. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's five years from now or 15 years from now, but certainly where cars are made to have more legroom. Um, you know, when you get to an autonomous future, uh, you know, not all the seats need to be facing the same direction, so you can have more of a uh, conversation in the car. So. A lot will happen. I think the the question is, you know, when is that exact time? Yeah, and talk to me about autonomous. I know that's a big push with 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 Lyft and and Uber and everybody. What um what are you what are you thinking? And especially the latest, you know, headlines of crashes. Like, I, I, and that's not going to derail anything. I don't think. But what what are you seeing? What are your predictions? Yeah, I mean, first, I think you, you know, technology needs to in autonomous needs to be ready from a safety perspective before it's put into uh, public put onto public roads. And so I think that's safety is going to be uh, and continue to be critical for all the players in the industry. I think long-term, you know, there will be autonomous vehicles uh, doing the majority of trips in major U.S. cities. And since we're only at half a percent of miles traveled, I also think that that future and that shift over the next 10 years means we will need more drivers. I think one thing that that's often misunderstood is that an autonomous vehicle for Lyft doesn't need to be able to do all of the trip types. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you know, some people may want a driver or may want different, you know, services in, in vehicles. Um, and so what is more likely to happen is that autonomous vehicles will come on board and do the easier trips, maybe a trip with no bridges and tunnels, maybe a trip under 35 miles an hour for mm-hmm. the entire ride. And as that scales up, you know, we'll also need more drivers to be doing the other trip types. Yeah, I, I don't really get that. So in terms of, like, big kind of, like, highway driving would be a human, but the uh, the cities would be autonomous? Is that what you're, you're saying? So think about it maybe like, uh, you know, when AT&T and Verizon, they go from 4G to 5G coverage, right? There's a, a next part of technology. Yeah. The 5G coverage doesn't – it's not everywhere. You're, you're making 4G calls – uh, except in specific areas where the, it made economic sense for AT&T to launch 5G service, right? Mm-hmm. But for a very long time, 4G coverage is around and, and likely growing. The same will be true here, where an autonomous vehicle will technically, in the next couple of years, be able to do a trip without bridges and tunnels and under 35 miles an hour because it's an easier engineering uh, problem to solve. And when you as a passenger say, I'm going from point A to point B, you will look at that route and say, can this trip be completed by an autonomous vehicle or should it be completed by uh, a human driver? Mm-hmm. And then if, if autonomous, we will give that passenger the choice of what vehicle type they'd like. And the humans who do the more complex driving? 
these autonomous vehicles, who would own them? You think people would buy autonomous vehicles and then when they're not using them, they would kind of let it lend them out to the system and kind of get you know revenue from that, or would Lyft own them or another company? What's, what's the plan? I think personal car ownership won't make sense. Again, if you only the average American only uses their car four percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can bring that utilization to say twenty or even forty percent, you can get five to ten. Uh, X the amount of utilization out of the same car, meaning you can pass on a significant amount of savings to the customer. And so from an economic perspective, I think it will make sense not for individuals to own vehicles, but for, you know, ourselves or likely a financing partner uh, to to buy those vehicles and make them accessible to our customers. Hmm. One, one way to think about it is maybe more like a subscription. So, in the future, I believe you'll subscribe to a Lyft miles plan. Uh-huh. You'll get, you know, a thousand or more miles a month as part of your plan. You'll have access to different vehicle types, and uh, and it will be, you know, kind of like you subscribe to music or like you subscribe uh, to to Netflix. Instead of having a two hundred dollar car payment a month, you have a a Lyft miles plan that covers not only the cost of the car but the cost of fuel, insurance, and and parking. Do you own a car yourself, or you lift all the time? I do. Uh, my family, uh, my wife, daughter, and I—we have one one car, yeah. and uh, what that means is that lift still has more work to do. <laughs> do you um, have you ever dri- have, you, have you yourself driven a lift to kind of uh, you know see the experience and, and check out uh, the business? Yeah, I drive for Lyft every New Year's. Uh, I think it's one of the most important nights to show that uh, we are out there with the driver community and out there for the passenger community uh, when they need a safe ride. So every year since the beginning, I think it's been about six times now that I've driven on New Year's. And uh, I also try to drive uh, as much as possible uh, in between that. So uh, I think it's incredibly important and something that I enjoy doing. Do you quiz quiz riders and do a little kind of uh, consumer surveys while you're driving? Yeah, sometimes I just ask, how's your experience? you know, is there anything that you, you think there's that Lyft can do better? Um, but, but at least for the first few rides, I just uh, stay quiet and try to play good music. Has anyone ever thrown up in your car? Uh, no, luckily <laughs> not, not yet. And when people get out, you tell them, oh, by the way, I'm the, uh, I'm the president? Or you just say, have a good day? <laughs> I, I try not to say that. I just uh, want to make sure they get there safely and, and have a good day. Oh, on message, always on message. Joe, what, what what's exciting for the next, the next six months to a year? What are, you, what are you focusing on? What can we expect from Lyft? What's going on? Well, I think uh, this, this vision of, of creating a full alternative to car ownership is something that will continue to involve. We're going to keep investing in Lyft Line, which is our shared ride service. Yeah. Uh, now in the cities where we have Lyft Line, it represents nearly 40% of all rides, meaning 40% of passengers are saying that they want to share the ride and, and selecting that product. Uh, and uh, that's that's really exciting to me. That's kind of, if you look back to the origin for Logan and I, uh, the type of product that we want to provide because it it's more efficient, it, it brings two trips into one, and it reduces the cost for, for the consumer. Yeah, Lyft Line really takes um, cars off the road. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then the other area is I think we're going to double down on our company culture. You know, we just committed to an annual audit of team members' pay to ensure that, uh, we are committed and, and demonstrating pay equity for all our team members, and that should transcend race and gender. So that's something we just committed to, and we had actually done done it last year, but we committed to being you know public about doing it every year. Uh-huh. And uh, we want to continue to to have an impact on 
business culture. We want to demonstrate that you can both treat people well and be successful. And we want to build the world's best transportation in order to improve people's lives. So we have a, a long road ahead, and uh, we're committed to, to doing that for a very long time. Yeah, people always talk about culture. What does it mean to be to be at Lyft? Like, what is what would people say the culture of Lyft is, and how it's different than another, um, you know, big, you know, fast-growing startup? Yeah, so I think what, one thing is we have three values. Uh, one is be yourself. The second is uplift others, and the third is make it happen. Now, many companies can have values and they can put them on the wall and they can say that they're important. You know, but I don't. I don't think I'm going to be able to fully explain in words. You know what it what it means to be part of the Lyft company culture. I think you know people that are here experience it. Uh, we work really hard to uh, treat people well. We work really hard to uh, make make the right decisions that has the largest positive impact on society. And we work really hard to listen and uh, you know know when know when we can do better or, or know when uh, we're wrong. Uh, and I think that. That is a good trait for a person, and it's a good trait for a company culture. Sounds good to me. Um, well, that was great. I want to thank John Zimmer, the co-founder and president of Lyft. Next time you hail a, hail a ride, look at the driver, because it might be John behind the wheel. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. That's it for this episode of the Forbes interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a question or comment, please reach us at interview at podcastone.com. New to Podcast One, Office Hours with Spencer Raskoff. Listen to the CEO of the Zillow Group as he talks to his latest guest, Ariana Huffington. The goal of a machine is to minimize downtime, but the goal of a human being is different. For the human operating system, downtime is a feature. It's not a bug. You can find his show and other great business-related shows like Forbes Interview and Forbes Under 30 exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the new Podcast One app.